0: it's time to thank some people who are on our side because we're on their side. You found a new tool, software.
1: Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software. Robert, I sure have. I think Blue Rhythm is what I've been looking for all these years. Building commissioning can be chaos at the best of times. Most projects I consult really suffer from poor information management. You know, it's 2019, yet the property and construction industry seems to be firmly stuck in the 20th century paperwork world. I think people mistake emails and PDFs and... Microsoft files on their servers and all the different PCs as a digital solution. In reality, it's just unorganized chaos. Do you want to streamline your commissioning process and save time and money? Do you want to go paperless and increase efficiency? Blue Rhythm is a cloud-based software solution built specifically for building commissioning professionals. Blue Rhythm digitizes your custom forms and checklists, allows collaboration across project teams, and automates reporting leaving you to focus on what matters. Their team help you onboard the test sheets you've developed over the years. You can even send it some in paper and they will digitize that and put it in the Blue Rhythm system for you. In my opinion, Blue Rhythm pays for itself in time saved on paperwork on a single project. For a demo or to start a free trial, go to bluerhythm.com. That's where Rhythm is spelled R-I-T-H-M, like algorithm. BlueRhythm.com. Tell them the Edifice Complex sent you there.
2: In a world where high-performance, zero-defect buildings are hard to find, two men are on a mission to disrupt the status quo. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work. Perspective on the adjacent possible and challenges to the status quo.
0: Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda of most everything really to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton, say hello Yoda. Hello Yoda, how are we doing? Doing good today. Hey, um, a year ago, today's guest wrote these words. Speaking of social media, quote, over recent years, the property sector has enjoyed a growing focus on people-centric development, with the health and wellness agenda becoming synonymous with forward-thinking, cutting-edge projects. He went on to say there's a growing body of evidence linking building quality to occupant health, and a robust business case built around the health and productivity linkages. Early adopters can be seen in leading companies such as Google and Amazon, who are using strategies to attract and retain talent. Much like sustainability, the terms health and wellness enjoy broad yet shallow definitions. This means they can be applied in many contexts, but do not provide tangible detail for assessment. End of quote. Welcome to the show, Harry. Hey, thank you for having me. Harry Nib, you are a principal consultant with Sustainable Places. You hold a master's of science degree in environmental policy and regulation and a master's in surveying project management. And you've won some awards for research exploring the linkage between pro-environmental behavior and happiness. Tell us how you ended up studying environmental behaviors and happiness because unhappy people want to know your story.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the intro. Yeah, no, through a number of number of channels, I ended up at that, that that master's. The first thing I suppose is I completed an undergrad in philosophy from the university of Leeds. And then like most students or ex-students started looking for work. And I stumbled across a company called M3 Consulting in London, uh, where I met Adam. M3 was a development management company. So we worked for the likes of British Land and Tesco, big corporates, on their new developments in and around London. We would do quite front-end stuff around viability, feasibility, concept design, planning, and then all the way through delivery and out the other end. And I was there for around four years. I then moved to Mace and helped them set up their development arm as well. I was there for another three years. And this was really a really interesting time for me in my sort of informative years of my career, I suppose. So I was enjoying development, but I was always interested in a couple of things. The first one was having a job that was about something bigger than myself. And the second thing that was happening around the time this was sort of begins in about 2016 and then goes on seven years from there, around that sort of time, sustainability and climate change was rapidly rising up the agenda. And so I got really interested in that and got myself into a position where I could go back to university as a mature-ish student and study environmental policy and regulation at LSE. So and you know in hindsight that was such a great move for me because LSE was the um, the catalyst I suppose that allowed me to realise that. There are some methods in social sciences that really do look at big stuff, big trends in society, Why, what the drivers are for behavior, and it taught me that there are some pretty robust methods out there for tracking it and understanding it, and I sort of came out at the end of that really wanting to take those methods back to the built environment and really understand the impacts of the developments that we had that, that we're building in a more, I suppose, holistic way.
1: That's interesting. So, full disclosure, I used to work with Harry at M3 Consulting. And uh, I moved away in 2007, so will we now, 11 years later. And amazingly, things haven't stayed the same, Harry. I mean, you've been to LSE. So L- that's LSE's yeah. London School of Economics. So Harry's alumni include John F. Kennedy, for example. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, you got <laughs> so, that. Yeah. That's Amongst well, other radicals. had
3: heady <laughs> heights, but... yeah.
1: <laughs> So you're in you're in pretty good company there. Now, what's interesting to me is, again, and we're finding a bit of a theme with some of the people we have on here. So we thought primarily when we started, we'd be talking to engineers, architects, developers, and it's fascinating how a lot of the people at the leading edge or a lot of people who are making some differences are working in adjacent fields and have their second degrees in adjacent areas, right? So, you know, you start with a philosophy degree, Actually, that's a great degree to have when you go into property development, I have to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Particularly if you're stoic. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, there's a very classic UK educational tract, which is PPE, politics, economics. Was it PPE? Politics, policy, and economics, right? Yeah. Most of the French yeah. bench at the government have that. And you're sort of a little bit in that club. But... You sort of made that shift over to environmental studies at LSE. And that is those are two things, right? So you've got philosophy on one end, which is a great thing in terms of understanding the world and people's operating systems, let's say. Mm. And then you've got the economic and environmental issues on the other side. Now, that is a nice Venn diagram. I'm a big fan of Venn diagrams. So let's talk about the overlaps of that. How have they come together for you?
3: Ooh, uh, they have, I suppose... Come together in that wanting to understand the big picture you know so philosophy when you study it I find it fascinating because it it really takes you back it starts to challenge everything doesn't it I mean Descartes was the one that goes I think therefore I am and he got (laughs) to that point by just reduction all the way back through you know do I even exist and the only thing he could say is "Well, if I'm thinking I must exist yeah so that's great isn't it I mean I just love the fact that you can have a thought experiment that takes you and gets rid of all the world you can see around you, and takes you all the way back to this one little nugget of truth, which is about thinking, and you can't disprove that because you're doing it. And then yeah. you then he built up a whole sort of narrative around that. So that that was sort of me wanting to understand the really really big stuff. I couldn't become a philosopher; uh, that wasn't viable, <laughs> and I wasn't very good enough. <laughs> so I had to have a proper <laughs> career. Uh, and actually, the built environment, I think, could do with philosophers. I think there are some, uh, there's some great big questions out there, especially around social sustainability, actually, you know, how can you design schemes so that people are more inclined to talk to one another? You know, so we've done some work this year with, for the, uh, I find it hard to say the loneliness labs. So if you go www.lonelinesslabs.org, this is all about trying to defeat loneliness in London through development. A lot of developers in the UK, big regenerators doing neighborhoods and above. They'll talk about building communities. It's it's been, it's sort of the uh, the mantra. And the the Loneliness Labs really spins it on its head. If you're building new schemes, how can you make sure you're not doing stuff that's going to make people lonely? So, for example, if you develop a scheme that's where people don't feel like they're going to be safe, they're going to retreat from that environment, go into their their homes, and they won't socialize. Or if you're going to build a scheme that's going to stop people accessing it because it's got accessibility issues, you know, you've got you got somebody stuck on the third floor flat who's in a wheelchair and the lift breaks. You know, simple things like that. You're going you're gonna to be isolating people from communities. But it can happen to the individual, it can happen to the communities as well. You know, if you build a, and Toronto's got the mega highway through it, yes. hasn't it? I'm sure that's creating community severance from one side to the other. People can't get past it. Or smaller stuff like a canal, yeah. you know, a river, people can't get across it. It, sever- it segregates communities from one another. So you want to be designing accessibility into the scheme. So yeah, some some really big questions, and I think the way we design and build our our cities and our buildings can have some some real impacts on our behaviours. And I, I did uh, pull out a quote, and it's, it's Churchill's quote, which is a classic. He doesn't quite mean it like I'm going to say, it, but he said, "We shape our buildings, and afterwards, our buildings shape us." Right. He was talking about the House of Commons because it got destroyed a little yeah. bit in the yeah. in the war, it was going to get rebuilt, and they were talking about you know should the seats be as they are now, which is two opposing rows, effectively. Yeah. Or should they be in a more of a U-shape or circular or these sorts of things? And uh, and he's saying, oh, we need it for the sort of politics we have in the UK. But actually that phrase, that sentence has been taken. And it it really does influence a lot of people, I think. You know, once we've built these things, they're going to influence our behaviours. You know, Only five skyscrapers have ever purposefully been deconstructed in the world. So once they're up, they're up. They're going to stay. And your behaviour is being changed because of them. And so what I want to do...
0: Ari and Adam, I want to do the role play here, okay? So one of you one, one of you is my mother, one of you is my father. I'll let you debate who you want to be. <laughs> so, 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 mom and dad, I've decided what I want to do. I want to go get a degree in philosophy and study loneliness.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: you should
1: go to what, Sheffield University. What do, you, what, do you, what do you say to me? So I'll be his mom. Oh,
3: never mind, love. You go and do what you want to do. <laughs> Um, It's a a good question. It's a good question. I think that that, that and that links onto a lot of things that are happening in education at the moment. So when I went through university, we had to pay for it. It wasn't free. We had to pay for it, but it wasn't as expensive as it is now.
1: Yeah.
3: And now the pressure on jobs and getting a job is so high that I think people are less likely to do philosophy degrees because they need to do vocational degrees to get the engineering or the architecture or the accountancy jobs out the end of it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I think it's unfortunate, you know, and maybe we'll see a decline in the arts. And uh, Yeah, I mean, just because you've done an arts degree, I think there are huge transferable skills, you know, critical thinking coming from philosophy into yeah. property development, uh, just being able to rationalise an issue into a solution. Again, that's critical thinking. That's, that's what you do in philosophy. So yeah. really useful transferable skills. I just, you know, hopefully a lot of people will see that in employment.
1: So you've hit a subject that's close to my, my heart there. So... I think I'm a big fan of vocational degrees because they lead to jobs that pay, right? However, that, as you say, it can't be at the cost of other things, right? So if I was king for a day, come the revolution, who knows, right? Yeah. There would be, if you're doing an engineering or architectural degree, for example, or a surveying degree, there would be compulsory units called philosophy, economics, you know, some of the ologies, right, that <clears throat> feed into that lateral thinking. Right, Otherwise, you wind up with almost sort of engineering automatons who just sit there and, you know, you can do a quadratic equation. Oh, good for you. You know, your mum's very proud. But really, life's a bit more than a quadratic equation, right, or a bit of calculus. Yeah, and that's, that's what's missing in the engineering degrees and the architectural degrees. Architectural is a bit different because it's a sort of combination of technology and art. For me, architectural is <laughs> art, right? But engineering is a pure science, for example, you know, there needs to be something going on there. Philosophy, I think, is one of the most underrated subjects in the world. Quite frankly, it's your personal operating system, right? We all have a philosophy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. So I it, think it, it was matters. Tom. I think it was Tom Peters
0: that, uh, and man, this is going like decades ago. Probably twenty-some odd years ago, was talking about. You know the farm worker, the industrial worker, and this, and how this all evolved, and eventually one of his com. And I think it was him. I could be wrong. You know, so sue me. But (laughs) I don't get the quote. (laughs) I don't get the. If I don't attribute the quote correctly, but it was along the lines that the the art or the creative person really be will be the person leading the way. Their ability to imagine to be creative. To find solutions that are different from the mainstream is incredibly important for the future of mankind. If we don't teach engineers, for example, or we can't, I don't know if you can teach creativity, but extract creativity out of the engineer's mind. I mean, solutions, creative solutions come from some part of the artistic DNA of that soul. Creativity, arts, philosophy, I think, is, is as you said, is really important going forward. So...
1: Yeah. So the question is, <laughs> are you creative? <laughs> are <your full> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you absolutely right.
0: And there's one thing to be able to sit back and, and observe and and comment, <laughs> and another thing to actually then develop your own independent thought, solutions, creative solutions, and then implement it. We talked earlier, Adam, about should the word should. Yeah, my least favorite word. Yeah, mm-hmm. and my and my least favorite cliche was thinking outside of the box. Thinking is a very philosophical thing. Thinking, you know, thinking outside of the box—that's a philosoph- That's a philosophical discussion. But to do outside the box is a is another element altogether.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's
3: challenging.
0: Yeah, right. So instead of should must, right? Instead of thinking, do uh, outside the box, right? Yeah. So Harry, so tell us what you are
3: doing outside of the box. So I will. I suppose I can attack that question from two angles. There's one one thing that we're doing quite a lot on is around productivity. And I think this is hugely outside the box, so I'm gonna go for this one. And um, this again is WSP and our team specifically thinking about some of the biggest issues we've got out there in, in the UK. And one of them really? is that since the economic crash, the UK's productivity has flatlined. And that's bad for quality of life because if firms can't boost their productivity, pay more money which means our wages don't go up which means our quality Mm. of life stagnates and so there's been a huge amount of effort going into resolving this so we've got a national industrial strategy which is all about productivity that was launched a few years ago and more recently all local authorities and combined authorities and local enterprise partnerships have been tasked by the government at a local level to develop what they call local industrial strategies so this is a borough for example thinking about how can we boost our productivity and there's a lot of really good thinking out there about this. Lots of very good economists have done work on it. Um, mostly solutions are things like trade policy, things like innovation, things like investment in R&D and skills, and infrastructure, of course. But the thing that seems to be missing, in our view, is the role of the place. And this is what I was sort of talking about with the loneliness again. It's, it's that. So much capital gets spent building new towns, regenerating existing cities, building urban extensions. Nobody designs schemes and concept design goes, how can I design this scheme so it's going to make the most productive place possible? Because that's ultimately going to impact business. It's going to and then it's going to impact citizen, quality of life, residents and those around it. And so what we're trying to do, we we, we wrote a white paper around it and launched it uh, October last year in Parliament. Um, What we want to do is just bring that to the fore and try and talk about the role of place. So in our mind, the four important pillars of a productive place would be um, the spaces. So the thing you need to understand about productivity is it's all about people. And the most productive people are going to go and live in those places where they're going to, that are of the highest quality, where they have the jobs. But also, you know, those jobs are going to be where firms are going to be, in high-quality urban environments. So what right. we're interested in is the public realm. How high-quality is it so that jobs are gonna, or businesses are going to be attracted there in the first place? And also, how can it be designed so that it's comfortable and increases dwell time and then increases knowledge spillovers because you and I are going to have a coffee and talk about the business that we're doing and things like that? We think that health is a really important second pillar because there's a huge amount of work, actually. And, and I think it's pretty well known now that the environment's or offices, at least commercial office, impacts... Your health, which then impacts your business's productivity. You know, on average, people take four days sick off a year in the UK, right. and some research around healthy offices reduce that. So, if you're going to make an investment, don't try and save you know some money on energy or operation and maintenance. Actually, develop your office so it's healthier, so that people take less sick days, and that will be the biggest business benefit. Um, so we think health in a macro scale when you're designing stuff is really important too. So that goes to right. indoor environmental quality, it looks at outdoor environmental quality, looks at water quality, you know, being able to be active to reduce obesity and things like that. The next pillar, the third one, is, is accessibility. So making sure that when you're urban planning, when you're planning your new scheme, you've got walkability in mind effectively, you know, getting people out of cars. No one is going to be collaborative and uh, in a car. <laughs> They're going to be pretty isolated, and they're not going to talk. And you won't get the whole thing about agglomeration right in cities is that people have knowledge spillovers, and that's what drives economies of scale and more productivity. Resilience, fourth one. This is about future proofing in light of future trends and shocks like climate change, technology, demographic change. And then the final thing, the E, is about engagement. So that's making sure that when you do new schemes, you're not going to just helicopter in a scheme that's all. butts heads for the existing community. You know, you need to engage them properly. Uh, And that spells share. You know, so it's a share framework that we've developed for developing more productive places. And, you know, the the aim for our business in the next 12 months is really to take that, talk to as many people as we can about it, collaborate with people where possible, and develop an approach that will start changing people's opinions on on what they can achieve when they design new schemes. They want to be designing productive places uh, as well as low carbon and and viable places too.
1: So again, this is another sort of, Adjacent pillar, right spillover to property development. So, have you got many? Have you got any active projects where this is being sort of applied in full or part?
3: No, no, not to my knowledge. We, as part of the research, it took us about a year to write. We went out and did some consultation with the likes of Oxford Properties, who's a Canadian a big development company. So they they it into it. M three inputted into it. Inputted into it. Uh, a, a bunch of think tanks over here in the UK as well, um, as well as Berkeley Homes as well. So they're all interested in it and. Um, and I think the, the next step is to take this further and develop a, a framework, some sort of something slightly a bit more quantitative and start to engage local authorities too as they write their local industrial strategies, it's a bit technical this bit, but as they write their local industrial strategies. And it really needs everybody to come together. You go, look, if you, if you as a local authority want to build a more productive place, then we think this approach will do that. And then the developer would want to come in and say, well, actually, we're on board with this too. and We can design schemes to, to hit these targets. So that's our that's our aid, next step over the twelve next twelve months. It's a fairly fresh piece of thinking. I, I do think it's innovative. There is a there is definitely a gap. there. not, in fact, I haven't seen anybody write much about it in this sort of comprehensive way. The people have written about parts of it, but no one, as far as I know, has pulled it all together in this way.
0: Yeah, when I think about uh, you know one of our early broadcasts, we had uh, Dr. Nick Clement on, who was with the Delos, the research group. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, great. And, you know, they certainly address some of this. Mm. We've had uh, Jerry Utilison on, who is one of the grandfathers of the USGBC lead program. He made a statement which I think we should explore a little bit here. And that is, is that there's something like over 600, was it Adam, 600 mm-hmm. building programs? There was some number that was so big, I couldn't get my head around it. And I, and I tried to imagine myself being in the property development business, having to evaluate 600 some odd building <laughs> programs and decide which one is right for me. How would you, so, that, you know, so let's say I'm one of your clients. And I've been shopping for building programs, and I come across you and your brain, and uh, you, you you start to you start to give me a pitch. Why you over the other five hundred and ninety nine
3: programs? Why why us? I suppose because we and one of the great things about WSP is it's a global company. It's big, and we can. If you've got a program that big, then you're going to have developments all around the world. So we can we can sort of facilitate that with teams all around the world and pull it all together. But I suppose that doesn't make us unique. There are other companies out there that can do that. I would be interested in, in the thought leadership that we produce and write about. That's a, a differentiator, I think. Things like this productive places, you know, not afraid to take on big challenges and, and have a crack at it. I think a lot of companies wouldn't. There's something about... Uh, future ready as well it's probably worth mentioning so future ready is a uh, program that WSP has that simply says the world is going to be different into the future we're going to do we're going to put a lot of effort into tracking those trends and what we're going to do is when we design our schemes our buildings or our infrastructure whatever it is and I think there's a corp- there is a corporate commitment to it starting next year that it will be implemented in all projects we do we're going to design today's code we're also going to teach our engineers and designers about the likely future scenario so that when you're designing schemes you can have conversations with clients to say look if it's going to be 50 degrees in london by 2030 and your building is obviously still going to be around and operational at this point do you think it's a good idea to put in xyz mitigation so that, that future ready mantra is, is pretty strong it's pretty powerful it's very simple as well actually an yeah. approach and you know often the simplest things are the best
0: well, certainly, one of the things that come you know what happens when there's so many of these building programs out there is that you can develop paralysis through analysis, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the negative side. But on the positive side is there's a competitive element. And anytime you have competitive elements, then ultimately you have the the winning teams start to evolve and that progress is over is on a continuum isn't it really and so maybe you know 20 years from now Adam if we're still doing this podcast after a gazillion interviews you know we'll bring Harry back on and his team will be the winning team
1: yeah and he can give us a virtue fly, <laughs> virtual fly through for his yeah, best yeah.
3: development <laughs> we'll have solved right. the productivity problem we'll be on to something else by then though <laughs> you,
1: you realize by then so- Harry you'll either
0: have no hair or gray hair like Adam and I <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, bring that apart, but that's what happened to us. We're actually life. only twenty. We're actually only twenty years old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what hard life in property does to you, man. <laughs> <know. That's a, laughs> true. But what was interesting when when you were talking there, I was thinking about WSP's global reach. But it's what jumped to my mind was the tension between what developers want to provide and what local authorities and municipalities want to get mm-hmm. out of them, right? There's always this backwards and forwards yeah. going on. And it's the same. In, it's it's pretty intense in the UK. And it, it goes on everywhere to some degree. Um, but at the moment, I would say developers are delivering property, right? Mixed-use yeah. property. But So the difference in sort of my career span, you know, when I first started, British Land could just put an office block up and no one yeah. cared. Now they have to put office blocks up and social housing and mixed use, mm-hmm. right? And that I think is going to develop further, where they the likes of British Land and Oxford Properties are going to move from providing property to providing lifestyles.
3: I suppose yeah. it's happening. You know, um, their Story, yeah. which is their approach, their competitor to WeWork. You know, so British Land no oh, longer right. lets space to WeWork. So all the media says, and they have their own offer. It's called Story. So yeah, that's right. them offering a lifestyle for workers.
1: So they're going down the co-working. Route, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And in, you co-working, know Regent's yeah. Place,
3: obviously three three eight, used to code that has co-working yeah. space in it, which is story, as well as some other place around yeah, places around yeah. London.
1: So that fits in with a. So I live in a place called Oakville, just outside Toronto, which is a bit like living in I don't know, Surrey or yeah. Richmond or something, right? It's a bit it's to the left and right, <laughs> right? But there is. A mall near me, right? So this is one of the nicer cities in Canada, and there's a mall, and it's dying slowly before my very eyes, right? Now, it's a massive mall, acres of parking, because it's North America, right? So if it was me in my British land head, I would slough off half of that parking, stick up condos. They've lost a massive anchor ten, and I'd I'd turn that into a uh, co-working space. I'd stick a gym in there, loads of restaurants, and turn it into a lifestyle Mm. destination. Now, I'm not king of Canada for a day either, as it turns out. What? So no one's what? doing this, but what? <laughs> what? didn't you get the memo? I got I deposed. <laughs> <laughs> but one of, the, one of the byproducts of working as a property developer and management in London for seven years is I cannot not be on, yeah. right? Everywhere I go, I'm thinking, British Land would have done that. I'd just slough that <laughs> off and do this. <laughs> do you know. And I think that will happen to that more. Near me. And I think the UK is a little bit further ahead in that thinking and sort of going around that track. Because when you provide a lifestyle situation, right, which is more than just a destination, then you get the things you were talking about, dwell, um, you know, people staying, interactions. I love that word, knowledge spillovers, yeah, yeah. right? Not coffee spillovers, <laughs> which is what I get at the moment. <laughs> so, you know, that... Is where I think that's going. I think the question is, how long does it take, right?
3: Yeah, and I think the ad, the, ad, the added complexity to all of that, you know, the mixed use space is, is is ideal. It's great. I mean, one of the best things you can do, I think, in for, for the planet is to develop really truly mixed use cities where people want to just stay and enjoy themselves and not use their cars, and they don't really want to fly yeah. off for the weekend and things like that. Um, that would be the biggest thing to to, to help reduce carbon. Um, but then in your example, in your, in your out of town complex, what's mm. the impact of autonomous vehicles and all of this? Cause I, what I don't know is whether or not they're going to make people travel more because if I wanted to work further away from my home, I can get into my autonomous office vehicle and actually my two hour commute is just an extension of my office time. And therefore I can start living. Cause you know, the thing about green belts in London is that actually and the rail network it allowed people to live further away and leapfrog and commute longer because our infrastructure and our, our rail speeds got faster and the road network, of course, as well. But will AVs have that same impact? I don't know. Are people going to get even more dispersed uh, because of this? could be interesting.
1: Well, I think the is already in plain sight for that. So this is a subject that's interesting to me. My dream is to... I've sold my last business now. I don't want to ever employ anyone again and be an unpaid tax collector. So <laughs> my dream is to earn all my money off the internet somehow, right? Selling knowledge, mm. selling sell anything, right? So there's a, there's a movement called the digital nomad movement. yeah. And these people have these online businesses and they just move around. They, they go, they congregate in certain places like Chiang Mai, Thailand, uh, Colombia, Canary Islands, where there's like great internet mm. connect, like super fast connectivity, right? But they do not need to be anywhere to do their job, right? Other than where they want to be. So I, I'm sort of coming towards the end of my career. I'm thinking about where do I do now? Do I retire? So do I have to get a condo downtown and have a place in the country and then travel between? So on a carbon basis, that's Mm. not great, right? Now, go to autonomous cars. I'm watching my young adult children. So my children range from 20 to 24, right? They have no aspirations on cars. They could care less about getting a BMW or a Mercedes, right? So if you're if you're slinging high end cars, I've got an issue. Your business is going to be in trouble, right? Yeah, right. They all want, so they use Uber. I think Uber. I could have potentially bought my last car mm-hmm. recently. I think Uber will turn into a transport solution, right? Where you will summon things. My kids use Uber. They think I'm nuts. I'm in yeah. cars. Most of my neighbors don't own cars. They lease them, right? I own my car because I'm I'm from the the Margaret Thatcher generation where he who dies with the most toys wins, right? So, but my children fascinate me because they shop online. They don't go to malls, which is why the malls dying near me, right? They're happy with Ubers. They're all about experiences and not getting Mm. things. They don't really have aspirations for a suburban house with a white picket fence. Now, that might change when they get older and have children. I don't know, but, you know, the things that, i wanted at their age are not on their menu at all
2: yeah yeah
1: now that's going to lead to fundamental change and i think the autonomous cars is going to be as impactful as going from horse to mm-hmm. car and that transition took 10 years start to start did finish. it
3: Maybe. Yep. well we're just testing, testing and our, our avs t- in around london now so uh, yeah 2028 20, here we go
1: yeah so in london it's it's doable because high concentration mm-hmm. of people, high a lot of power with the mayor there, yeah. right? So he could say, right, between, I don't know, six in the morning and eight at night, only electronic autonomous vehicles. We're done. That could happen. Uh, uh, yeah, right? that would, it would be challenging,
3: but he could. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Depends if it's Boris gets back in on yeah, that, I guess.
3: Yeah, right? or anybody else at the moment, <laughs> depending on. Yeah, we're, we're a little yeah. bit unstable, you may have heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, so actually, that's a good point. You're a Brit. I'm a sort of half plastic Brit now because I'm Canadian as well. So, what's going on back there with you guys? What are you doing to my country? What's going on? How is it? Effect- how has Brexit affected property development? Because I guess if you're a property developer, you're sitting on your money, thinking I'm not going to build anything to
3: my yeah. On. I think yeah, there are there are companies struggling uh, at the moment because of that. We're we're a bit cushioned from it from our size, I think, and multidisciplinary helps us with work. You know, but infrastructure is booming. There's loads of money going into infrastructure at the moment. You know, we've got HS2, we've got Crossrail two. Yeah, we're government spending on new on parliamentary restoration yeah. projects, Heathrow terminal, or runway three, in the pipeline things like that. So there is a oh, a new tunnel going under the under the Thames. Um, right. So there there is there is still a lot. It feels for me and our team, we we feel all right. We feel like you know there's still opportunity and we're growing. So that's that's a good thing. But I do know that people are, yeah, there are smaller companies that are struggling. But again, who knows? I mean, Brexit could have a profound impact. And one of the things that, you know, I, I see is how it changes migrant workers' desire to, to come here and help. You know, will, will people want to be working on our building sites and, and in our NHS and everything like that or not? And, you know, maybe UKs becomes less attractive to that workforce. And if that happens... You know, we've got we've got a significant housing shortage. We're not building enough homes for people. Not enough affordable homes. This is a massive but, issue. Right the there's, there's
0: one way to guarantee that, Harry. You just build a wall.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Not sure we want that though. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I'm not a proponent of building walls. I mean, the the world is tearing down walls. The the communications that we have today. You know, to be able to transfer money at the push of a button, right? To be able to make a call, like Skype right now. I mean, Adam's in uh, Ontario, you're in the UK, I'm out here in the West. You know, Mm. that was, it's so easy. It's so fluid. Putting up barriers as is occurring in various places around the world is counterproductive, I think.
3: got to be. And the, the easier it becomes for us, you know, to transfer and live in different countries and cities, the more we'll start to pick and choose. You know, I've worked, I was telling I worked for M3, Mace, Barclay Homes and WSP. They didn't all have to be in London. They could have been in any different country. Yeah. And I wouldn't choose to work in the country that puts up the wall, you
2: know. Yeah. And many people would also take that stance, I guess. The Edifice Complex will continue in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, we need your help. We're not asking for money. Just a minute of your time. Our goal is to make the Edifice Complex podcast as relevant, educational, and useful as possible. By having good ratings, we can reach the widest audience. Therefore, our request is two small things. If you haven't already, leave us a review and rating on iTunes. And subscribe to the Edifice Complex on YouTube, even if you normally only listen to the audio version. These two things will help us immensely. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. Thanks for your time, and now, back to the show. Now,
1: let's talk about WSP. WSP is an interesting company, because you're actually working for a Canadian company. You're (laughs) welcome. And um, (laughs) Now, they started off as a British company, there was just a very... uh, Strategic timing on stock market valuations that made WSP possible to be bought by Geneva. Right now, WSP is a is one of the real proper integrated, fully international consultancies. Right, there's maybe they're what I call the industrial construction complex. They have the ability to serve governments. You know, if government says build me a port or build me an airbase, they can do mm-hmm. that. Right. Now, one of the, my personal friends and alumni from the show, Andrew Baobank, is, is now the global head of sustainability. Yeah. Now, I've worked with WSP in the Middle East where they're huge. They've got a huge presence. I know of them in the UK where they have a sterling reputation. In Canada, they have a good reputation. But how they're going to put all that together into a global strategy, that's going to be very interesting for me. And you're going to be in that, right? Because you're in that bucket How do you see that coming going forwards for WSP?
3: So difficult for me to talk about other nationalities, I suppose, but I think one of the things that is growing massively is that the services we provide are becoming broader and more integrated. So by that, you know, the work I and my team do around health and wellbeing, that wouldn't have existed 10, 10 years ago. I mean, it hardly exists as a topic, but you know, it's that wider consideration of what is the big impact of the schemes we're building is, is becoming increasingly important to a company like WSP. You know, we have, you probably don't know, we have economists, we have scientists, uh, we have engineers, and you have people like me who are policy slash developer. <laughs> so it is, a, it is a broad mix. And I just, you know, I'm always keen when I talk to people to let them know that, yeah, structural engineering, M&E engineering these are fantastic disciplines, but it's not all that WSP is. We've got a team sister team to ours, sustainability and climate change due corporate sustainability for some of the big businesses out there. So it is a broad and diverse company, and I think that's a strength. Actually, I wouldn't have known about it. That I wouldn't. I may not have thought that if I, before I joined a company like this. But I think the approach they've taken with it, which is about making sure that everybody knows everybody and works together, is, is a strong one. And that's, yeah, you know, more and more global integration is going to come, I think. We're, you know, it's quite easy to know people in different countries and WSP and produce little networks. Uh, we have a health and well-being global network that we, um, you know, one of the things we're doing at the moment is trying to certify a lot of our own offices for FitWell.
1: Yes. Right, and there's,
3: right. there's us in the UK, there's us in Canada, sorry, WSP in Canada and WSP in the USA, and we're all going down this journey together. So we have we have monthly calls and things like that, and we're going along this journey. So that that's that's positive, you know. And we learn from each other because of it.
1: I think you're right for for big firms like WSP. One of the way they can differentiate themselves is with thought leadership, right? Mm. And that that becomes it's a it's a form of peacocking, but it's an important form of peacocking. But are, are all the specialists in your group like billable then, or are they R and D? So like if you've got economists, are they billable or are they- Yeah,
3: they? Yeah, yeah, so we would, uh, yeah, we would do your uh, econometric study of business benefit. If you're going to redevelop the, the south end of your town, you know, what, right. what's the business on that? We, we can do that. And that's what they would do in terms of R&D. I guess we have, you know, allowances for that within our time. Different people have different allowances and it, you know, right. that's just how business works. So yeah, you wouldn't bill that time but you wouldn't have to be 100% utilized on projects. you know. That, that's how it works. And I guess the more senior you get, find out one day, the less utilized you will be on projects and the more you know, <laughs> you can be around R&D uh, and business growth and things like that, I guess.
0: Yeah. Let's hope, Harry, when you get to be one of those senior guys that uh, you prevent WSP from turning into an SNC-Lavalin. Adam, right? Uh, I couldn't I don't agree more. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. I don't know Harry if you know who SNC-Lavalin is. I oh, know I don't afraid not. Yeah, it's one of Canada's largest engineering firms. They're in fact a global operation. They're big, 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 big. big. Yeah. They just had to do a wholesale change of their executive due to impropriety and are now being sued by many governments for some of their actions. You know, and that's again it goes back to there was some uh, self-serving interests at the top within the executive mm. committees and uh, now they're paying the price. So as long as so when you get to the top Harry make sure you uh, keep your, your uh, ethics. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, be stoic and be clean is how I would say describe it. Yeah, I, I read yeah. today an SNC Lavin guy's been sentenced to 39 months in prison for bribery. Is that right? A senior yeah, guy. Yeah. That's a very what senior. Yeah. yeah. Now to be fair, some of the markets they work in. If you work in emerging markets, someone has to get paid. Yeah. Well, you're not getting that job, right? That's just how it works. Yeah, that's absolutely. an inconvenient truth that it's really hard to square that circle when you work for the UK or Canada, who have legislation against that sort of thing. Right, it's a very right. difficult thing to navigate. So I, I don't know what the answer is. To that let's not go down that rabbit hole. But <laughs> so, yeah. one thing I do want to talk about, Harry, is yeah. the well, the well standard and the well certification. So. Mm. When I was active and had businesses in Canada, the lead thing was a big thing here, and so we rode that wave till it died. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> now, there Never. seems
1: to be a new wave forming called WELL. Now, I, yeah. my, my knowledge of it is, is microscopic. Can you give us an overview on what that is? Because I'm not really clear. I understand it. Now, that's only from the name, right? I'm taking it from the name.
3: Mm-hmm. WELL just
1: means I feel well to me, but I guess it's a health-related thing.
3: Yeah, that's what it is. It's all about how... It's, it's mostly focused... I mean, originally, it was focused on, on commercial office. It's how how can you design your office uh, so that's going to improve people's health and well-being, or at least not diminish it? So the sorts of things it would be interested in is air quality, water quality, whether you're going to get the right food, whether you're going to get the right light, so it doesn't impact your circadian rhythm in any way, negatively. Mm-hmm. Whether you're going to be able to get up and exercise, you know, if you get too hot, or too cold, so your thermal comfort is really important. So this, these are some really you know, well-established engineering principles we're talking about. This is about indoor and yeah. quality, a lot of it, acoustics as well. But then it also talks about things like materials and whether that's going to off-, off gas, any VOCs negatively impacting you. So what's your specification? And then it starts to go a little bit broader than that. And this is kind of really where I think it, it does well, actually. It talks about, you know, whether or not there's any beauty in the building, whether you've got uh, the stairs in the right place so that when people come in, they're greeted by, you know, like a grand Georgian staircase and then the lifts are behind it rather than the lifts in front and then the staircase is through seven or eight control access doors that you never use, you know, because you want to be tackling big challenges like obesity to so get people going up and downstairs. That's a really simple way of doing it. Whether you've got enough breakout space so that people can actually get together, you know, like the, the Scandinavian Fika, they, they and have coffee together, they to break out and have lunch together. The social spaces and offices in Scandinavia are much bigger than in the UK. So the world standard would call for 25% of everybody on that floor plate to be able to go and sit down at any one time. So then if you're going to be seeking compliance, you know, that's a real consideration for your, your master planning early on. It's, you know, how big does your building have to be to fit that? Maybe it has to be bigger or maybe you fit less people in it.
1: So is it like lead in that it sets aspirations and targets and you can pick from a menu?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's in its second version. Version one was um, quite prescriptive. You had to have a lot of, preconditions it complied with and then there was a little bit of flexibility around optimization they have kind of spun that on its head a little bit now so there's a lot less preconditions and a lot more optimizations which allows you to pick and choose and I think that's going to be good for well because it's my, my experience of health and well-being in the built environment over the last 10 years is that probably about five to six maybe seven years ago it started to get talked about that rhetoric has ramped up and up and up and up and up until it's absolutely pervasive now. You can hardly go into a meeting without hearing the words health and wellbeing. <laughs> and now instructions are following that. You know, so we we get we do a lot of gap analysis for developers so that if they've got a, some existing stock or they're building a new st- new office they want to know are they in compliance with this standards either that or fit well. You know, so that either they can then run a marketing strategy off it or if it's a spec office development they want to make sure that if a major tenant comes in who really want well certification they're not going to have prohibited it in the shell and core things like that and then some of them are really just interested in you know what's, what should we do you know how can we improve the health and well being of our office space and the, these sort of frameworks a bit like Briamp, bit like lead gives you give you some you know like a third party accredited way of, of picking off that low hanging fruit and formulating your thoughts around what is really a massive topic
1: so is it like i mean for example british land office properties they would always have a BRIAM standard that had to be met for the design team. So, is yeah. it now in the UK that a world standard would be put out there in the design brief?
3: Not yet, not yet. We do um, we see that coming? Absolutely. There's a lot of companies who are seeking certification on. Do you know what, actually one of the things we've noticed is that consultancies are certifying their own office space. Partly that's again this sort of peacocking thing, isn't it? About Mm. You know, we've done it here, so aren't we great, and now we can sell it. But also, I think it's about people are no longer wedded to one job for their whole lives, and you know, it's a competitive advantage. So businesses can, can sell you the salary and the work, but they can also now sell you the office space, and if it's going to be healthy and provide you with all these things that the accreditation tries to give you, then that's going to be more attractive.
1: Yeah, it's a lifestyle thing, right, which, which sort of translates into a staff retention thing.
3: Massively, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, reduced churn. I mean, the big sort of drivers for it are more productivity through less days sick, effectively, greater staff retention as well. So those are the two two major trends.
1: Is there, are there any sort of studies or academic research done on the benefits of it yet?
3: Yeah, there's loads. There's loads out there. It's again, there's something called the Cognitive FX Studies from Harvard, which has done a yeah. lot of interesting stuff around that. So they'll have People in an office and they're doing like a a before and after. So they'll uh, get them to do some cognitive tests and then they'll change the the quality of the air, pump up the CO2 or reduce the CO2 and check, are they better or worse? And then they start to monetize that. So the the, the sort of conclusion from that was enhanced air quality will result in £2,500 more business benefit over the course of a year. And the engineering behind that would be better filtration, greater fan speed, maybe a couple of hundred pounds extra on the energy costs. but If you're getting £2,500 per worker and you've got 600 workers in an office, you know, the benefits for business are huge compared to the costs.
1: Yeah, it's compounding and, and that, scaling costs, yes. uh, benefits rather. So that's £2,000 per worker.
3: Yeah, that was, the, that was the result. I mean, again, I you've got to take it with a little bit of pinch of salt because... You can find confounding studies. I think that you start to move into the social sciences a little bit and one of the things in there is it is really complicated and to get isolate the drivers is hard and therefore you can find competing factors. But, you know, this, this sort of a healthier office based around these sorts of frameworks that improves business benefit and, and through productivity is, is getting fairly well well trodden ground. I think the interesting right. thing we're trying to do in productivity is take it out to a city scale. So what's that thinking that's being done in an office? blow it up and take it out to the, the public realm and the transportation and mobility and stuff like that. So this, are, this was the sort of thinking behind the, uh, that, that white paper we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, I think those cognitive studies in part were driven by the uh, General Service uh, Agency of the U.S. government, the GSA. They're the, As far as I understand, they're the largest real estate holder in the U.S. is the government. Yes, they are. And so when you think about you know the hundreds of thousands, well, probably millions of employees that they have, productivity is a big thing. Them and those studies, I think, uh, were certainly part of their trying to understand how they can improve productivity within their people and, of course, within the buildings. This, um, Harry, you bring up you know, a good point. That is, is to take it out of the office and apply it to a much larger scale. I think that's really important. Do you want to expand on that? How do how do we do that?
3: Yeah, good question. Um, I think I think you have to. Well, one of the things that we're interested in, I suppose when you do a health and well-being strategy is you shouldn't just focus on the on the building you should try and if you've got to understand that the people who are going to be in that building will be living the same sort of lives that we're all living so we'll be breathing the air outside we'll be eating the food that's available to us we'll be taking trains in and out to a house that may or may not be good for our health and you can't impact all of that but you can start to impact some of it so things like the electrification of buildings so heat pumps rather than for heating and cooling rather than burning gas, that's going to improve air quality in cities. That's going to be fantastic because, you know, buildings account for ooh, almost 30% of nitrous oxide, I think is the stat. That's that's a huge amount. And then providing facilities for electric vehicles as well. So you're really starting to address that air quality issue. You know, you get rid of get rid of fossils, you produce, you use electricity instead, air quality is going to improve. And then I think you've got to, again, the next thing to so air quality trying to be resolved. Then you've got to think about what other issues are there. Food. So one of the things that Bloomberg do now, I've heard, again, for example, is that they don't produce cafes in their new buildings. But they say, you know, we don't want any cafes in there. So you should go out and use the, the local amenities. This is really great for community. But I expect that also they should be, if they're doing that, then advertising which ones are the healthy ones and which ones are the unhealthy ones. And things like that. <laughs> so you to starting to tell people, you know, Tom's Kitchen around the corner, this gives some really good food. You can go there if you want. Or maybe some subsidies for that sort of bit of nudge behavior theory going on.
0: Yeah, maybe Michael, ahead, yeah. maybe Michael Bloomberg and Howard Schultz from Starbucks <laughs> have concocted that deal. Okay, <laughs> maybe.
1: I could tell you that system in the North American context will be corrupted within six months. Really? A
0: heart- oh, yeah. Oh, a yeah. In heart- yeah. Yeah, yeah, a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there'll be deal, there'll be backroom deals cut everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a, so just a sidebar discussion, you know, in terms of moving from uh, combustion-based systems to heat pumps. There was a recent study that was done looking at the uh, heat island effect. Mm. So if you take a urban area versus a suburban area and you converted everybody over to heat pumps, what their study determined is that when you get high-density populations, like a downtown core, had you actually converted everybody over to a heat pump, that the temperature would rise significantly. Three, four degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius. I think it was a Celsius The study it was, was in. you know, Three, four degrees C just simply... Because of the heat rejection and the island effect that occurs. Now, when you move that into a less populated area, like Canada, for example, it'd be less impact. But you take mm. Hong Kong, London, Toronto, New York, Chicago, you know, the big, big cities, converting everybody to a heat pump it has consequences.
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting right. So with good yep. intentions come some bad consequences sometimes. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. I suppose this is one of the big Interests, you know, uh, of me and the work that we do is: are we locking in problems for the future without fully analysing them now?
0: Yeah, bingo. Uh, that's yes. that's a that's a good statement right there. That we need to ask ourselves whenever we head down that design process.
1: Do you know what? I'm going to coin a term for that. We're going to call that the asbestos conundrum, right? So <laughs> yeah. asbestos is great; it works. They still use it on, on underground trains. It's the only way I can stop the brakes, get the brakes to work. Yet, embedded in that, that came out. Decades later, was a health horrific health mm-hmm. issue, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So the just rephrase that question again. Are we embedding? Would
0: what, you? What, I want to write this down. So Adam and I have this plan to create T-shirts. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It <laughs> could be a Harry is, Nib T-shirt in your future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we want We have to find a way to make money off of this podcast. If we can't sell the podcast, we're going to sell T-shirts, <laughs> coffee, <laughs> hats, and coffee cups.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Are we embedding unintended consequences? Unint- I think yeah, yeah unintended so, consequences. so a good example for me is um, by focusing on energy and carbon, we've asked our homes to be better insulated and more airtight. And now tall buildings are overheating in the UK. So then we have to introduce cooling. And, you know, those, those buildings that are built that are overheating have health impacts. So could that have been foreseen? And should we have done it slightly differently? You know, these are the questions. I mean, it's, it's I suppose, on under, you know, trying to think about unintended consequences is an easy thing to say and a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, no panacea there, no silver bullet.
0: Yeah, no, well, you not, know, it's, we actually experienced that back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, not on large scale buildings, but in housing when we d- introduced the R2000 program here in Canada, which was a high performance enclosure. And the early houses that were built to that standard lacked adequate ventilation so yeah they reduced the energy but they the air, indoor air quality became very very poor people became sick from that and so then we had to increase the ventilation rates and then thus the evolution of erbs and hrvs came about so that was an unintended consequence that had health impacts and so do we know did we today when we build buildings uh that are high performance buildings and can we say that well we didn't know uh, i don't know there's a lot of lessons in the past. We had a guest on, uh, Marcel Harmon, who was an anthropologist and studied evolutionary theory. You know, I think if you actually studied the past, those lessons are there. We just have to, we just have to look at them,
3: make sure we don't do them again. Yeah. And so I'll be interested in knowing whether we're doing the same thing socially by building the schemes the way we
0: do.
3: And mm. behaviors that are going to be negative for us in the future when we could have been doing it, doing it in a different way. And then I love the fact that you guys have spoken to an anthropologist because I think, again, that's another thing that sort of cross sector collaboration and learning is something that misses, misses a little bit. And, you know, I've been involved in health and well-being for three or four years now. And I've talked to, you know, people who are ex-nurses, ex-doctors and the wealth of knowledge that they have is just amazing. I'm a built environment person. I'm not, not you know, not, not a health person. But coming together with somebody who has that health knowledge, the, the outputs are just so much better, you know, so...
1: You think well, it, and, but, sorry, go on,
0: go over Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you go in the, if you look at and particularly the UK, if you go back into the eighteen hundreds, most of the early research work on indoor environments and health were written by the physicians. Hmm. And primarily because they were out doing house calls. They were seeing the squalor and the poor indoor environments and the bad food and you know the cold, damp environments. And of course they understood but even before the eighteen hundreds there was Hippocrates, right? right. <laughs> and you know there was there was parts of the society back then that thought he was you know evil you know suggesting that hygiene was the contributing factor to people's poor health back then right and yet you know what he was right our environmental the environmental hygiene in buildings has an impact we know this stuff and it's been written about for
1: thousands of years. So this this unintended consequences thing is a big thing and it's an interesting thing yeah. because, again, based on the people we've been interviewing and what you're starting to see is this lateral thinking that's starting to emerge at the mm-hmm. at the front end, the bleeding edge of things, right? So there will be less unintended consequences if you're considering evolution, biophilic design, biomimicry, well-being, all these other things. the Things that millennials want, that baby boomers don't want, right? Mm. All these things. The more you think about it, the more chance you have of future-proofing and less unintended consequences, right? Now, if you're a developer who's just putting up that same old shitty building, you know, copy, paste, repeat, then them guys, they're dinosaurs. they got to go, right? And the market hopefully will get rid of them. There's is There's tons of them in North America, unfortunately, but because <laughs> over here, Harry, it's different, right? In the UK, you've got rights and lights. You've got all these things you have to take over here, man. There's just stick that building up and get the tax roll running. Really? That's all that matters, <laughs> baby. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> What's the planning policy? How how stringent is it?
1: Nothing compared to okay. what you're used to. Okay. Yeah, but and and but there is,
0: and we talked about the analogy here. Is that there are buildings thoroughbred buildings that now Mm -hmm. exist in North America that people can make comparisons to. And so if you think about, if you go back in the old days, you know, where everybody in the township rode donkeys, that was the mode that was the accepted mode of transportation until somebody showed up with a stallion. And now they realize just how much of an ass they've been riding for (laughs) how long, right? Well, we have enough, we have enough ass buildings (laughs) out there. Or we have enough stallion buildings out there now that we can realize just how bad the buildings are that we've been living and building. in. And then, so there is that, but that's uh those are voluntary programs. They're not. They're not legislated. It's not required. It's you know, it's the peacocking, I guess, in many ways. You both, you Brits, use that term yeah. quite a bit. Is there something about the UK and peacocking that that uh, I should that, know about? Or? We're a small island with a big <laughs> footprint.
1: We must show our stuff, Fred. Why
0: not you? Harry, aren't you done with that? I mean, you conquered half of the globe and then you started to retract and give people back the land that they owned in the first place. And, yeah,
3: very much done with that. Listen, this is my theory on
1: Brexit, right? Yeah. Britain should join Canada, become a four provinces of Canada, extra four provinces of Canada. We've already, Canada's already got the free trade deal, right? Boom, yeah. done. Problem solved. <laughs> same queen, same people, same culture. Nailed it. You're welcome, UN. So...
0: Is that a phone drop moment? Yeah, I think I've just dropped the mic. I'm just going to headbutt Boris
1: Johnson now. (laughs) (laughs) So we're coming on the hour. I want to wrap this up. But again, this is an interesting discussion because the days of just putting up rubbish are coming to an end. They really are. You can see it, right?
3: Mm, Yeah, yeah. The days
1: of the dodgy developer doing a backroom deal with the local borough getting his piece of crap building up and it's sitting there for decades is going away. And this is the problem with buildings, right? Cars, horses to cars took 10 years. It was rapid, right? Because the legacy of horses, the lifespan of a horse is short, right? Six, 10 years, right? Lifespan of a building is 50 years. Mm. This is why change takes time in a built environment. However, we're interviewing someone soon, another Brit who's gone to America, who's um, involved in modular construction. Yeah. That is going to be one of the difference makers, in my opinion, in speeding up this change and getting rid of the old boys who just put up rubbish. And you all know who you are out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's we good. can say that now because
0: we're at the yeah. end of our career. We don't yeah, really know. care who
1: we piss off.
2: We're yeah. 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 Yeah, no, so, yeah. not our
1: clients anymore. <laughs> Harry has to be uh, on message. You and I yeah. can be crazy. Yeah. It's not, all good. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's
1: right. Yeah. So Harry, we wrap. We always wrap every podcast up with some sort of fast, rapid-fire questions to our to our guests. Right, there's no okay. wrong answers, but there's no phone a friend, okay? <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll kick off the first one. And this is interesting getting your take on this because we're getting the UK take here and we're getting a relatively young person's take compared to, to me anyway. <laughs> so what would be your advice for a young female graduate in STEM moving into the built environment? industry
3: think big and have big aspirations yeah i think that the industry is changing and there's opportunity for everyone and there's some fantastic role models out there too
1: yeah well. i agree with that so if you want to spit out a name or two feel free but we interviewed uh, yeah. one on our podcast called holly chant she was awesome uh, I'm, yeah. I'm so i touched with the uk who are the role models in the uk
3: jane richards from wsp instructors and rachel skinner from wsp also uh, more in transport awesome. fantastic role models.
1: Big shout out to them, too, then, for sure. Mm.
0: Robert? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I always like asking the questions about the practitioners, you know, the young students at the engineering levels and the architectural levels. If you had words for them in the design of buildings, what would you say? I mean, you're, you're studying an area that obviously integrates architecture and engineering, and their mm. influence is going to affect However long that building exists, yeah, hundreds of years, what's your words to them?
3: Put the staircases right next to the front. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one. Uh, That's
1: a mic drop moment, man. You nailed that. (laughs)
3: Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and and everyone loves nature. You can't go into a building that has too much nature inside it. You know, we're, we're, we're naturally attracted to it. There's not enough of it in our cities. So go for it. Go big.
1: There you go. Biophilic design. Boom. Nailed it. Okay. I'm going to throw one more thing out there. And it's a bit of a a hot topic for me. I could get triggered at any minute when you start speaking. So the Internet of Things, what's, what's your position or, if you feel like it, the WSP position on IoT?
3: But it's um, it's here, you know. It's coming. It's the future. We've got new guy head of smart buildings who's doing some really great work around this, and it's fascinating to hear him talk about it all. How integrated it's going to be, how much easier our use of these buildings is going to be in terms of you know, where we work, how we work, how much better for us it's going to be, and it's, it's hugely impacted, linked to, to health and well-being as well. All this Internet of Things. Uh, interventions and techniques and I think you know just sort of philosophically again it's about giving us the data on which we can make robust decisions I think that's the big thing for me at the moment we make decisions on on buildings without that data a lot of the time and I think once we've got this we're going to be better at doing that so it's ultimately going to lead to an optimised environment for us in our buildings.
1: Do you think that requires mass surveillance though? Because that's one of my hot buttons is I don't want people knowing my, the ins and outs of what I'm doing.
3: I think there will be offices that do have those sorts of things because they'll be really interested in knowing how people are using the space. So they'll have you know rec- people recognition cameras that may be a little bit blurred or something, but they'll know how many people are in that space at any one time so that they can reduce it to make it, you know, more viable, or they'll know if the meeting rooms are actually full the whole time or not. So those things I think need some sort of recognition, whether it's a camera or something else. I'm not I don't know. But yeah, I expect there'll be businesses that do go down that model.
0: It's kind of a loaded question. I mean you <laughs> certainly spoke to some of Adam's concerns, you know, in terms of the data and operating systems. But we were talking earlier about how for some people they see the Internet of Things as being the The holy grail, the solution for bad buildings. Ignoring the fact, in case of Adam's experience, poor assemblies of HVAC systems in the terms of architecture, poor architecture, overglazed buildings, insufficient window coverings, bad choices in interior finishes. You know, these things are not solved by technology, they're solved by fundamental principles in proper design proper material selection proper assembly of, of systems and the Internet of Things won't solve any of that and so if we're using the Internet of Things the IOT as the leading story here we won't fix anything that we've done in the in the past that's evil in all things architecture
3: <laughs> yeah I agree uh, fabric you know the fabric first approach isn't it Get yeah right and then embellish it with the IOT mm-hmm. not not the other way around Yep.
1: great. Now, I want to yeah. give a big shout out to WSP because what I took away from your answer was WSP have are on this, right? They've got someone working on it and they're getting some thought leadership and some research and hopefully some consulting services going around it. So, kudos, mm-hmm. WSP. And obviously, I just want to repeat Canadian company. Just saying. That's all right. I'm a Brit as well. I'm sort of half and half. I'm very conflicted. You (laughs) are.
0: That's what happens when you have one foot in one country and
1: another one in the other, and there's a water in between. Yeah, <laughs> it makes for an uncomfortable stance. <laughs> okay, Harry. Look, we need to wrap up there then. Yeah. Um, so, thank you very much for coming on. it is really interesting hearing to what, what you're up to. It's great to catch up with you because I obviously haven't seen you for a long time, and I'm so pleased you've uh, you're developing and you're moving on. And WSP is a great sandpit to be playing in there. There's some really great people in there.
3: So, as well, thanks a lot for having me, and, and nice to uh, nice to see you, and nice to meet you.
1: Yeah, great. So we will keep in touch. And if you have any earth-shattering advancements in your field, let us know and we'll get you back on.
2: Yeah, shall do. Lovely.
1: So what did you make of that? It was so good for me to see Harry because the last time I saw him, he was a sort of a a graduate, sort of one, two years into his uh, career. So, you know, he wasn't the fully formed person we've just interviewed, that's for sure. It's really nice to see how he's developed. He's really doing well.
0: I like how he's uh, taken his philosophical start in yeah. his career, identified this loneliness lab, which I'm gonna go check out because that's yeah. that's pretty interesting. That in itself, and then and then to say, you know, how do we look at the the property development from the from a philosophical point of view? And him talking about, you know, productivity, healthy environments, accessibility, resilience, engagement—these are all really good words. And when you put them into practice, how can you not end up with a better building? I so I think that there was. I thought that was really well done on his part. He made a statement which was probably one of the highlights, you know, are we embedding unintended consequences in our programs, you know, the building programs, whether whatever, pick a program, lead, well, bream, whatever, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. He that was that was very that was a deep, deep thing because you could apply that to any industry, but particularly yeah. with buildings, the lifespan of a building they just don't go away. Right, once they're up, good, bad, right. or different, they're there, and everything is baked in the cake when that thing is up. Right, so if there's some bad things, unintended or not, in there, they kind of come out and they're not going away. So yeah, again, my big insight from from what WSP are doing and Harry's doing is. The fact that design is evolving into not a complex thing, but a multi-perspective thing, Mm -hmm. where so many considerations now are being put in the cake mix that weren't there before, right? Right. You know, if you've gone back to the 60s and been to a development meeting and said, hey, guys, let's think about uh, water use and uh, people's well-being. (sighs) <laughs> While they're all chain smoking and drinking scotch, <laughs> like an episode of Mad Men, right? <laughs> yeah. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They say, go and put your skirt on and go and play outside.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, it's what I like to, obviously, you know, relative to you and I, a young mind. Oh, for sure. That has grasped early in his career, the importance of these subject matters. You know, he clearly didn't fall into the, you know, into a, into a rut. No. You know, he was allowed to expand his thoughts and, and then be able to explore that and now bring that back and put it into practice. That's, that's a value. I don't know if he knows how valuable that is.
1: Uh, Maybe. You, that's- you sort, of, sort of don't know what you don't know when you're young, right? But uh, yeah, was, yeah, 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 know, yeah. The thing I like most about Harry is that he's got a philosophy degree. I love that about Harry because, <laughs> you know, that yeah. is unusual, man. That gives you a bit of perspective that other people don't have. That's a competitive yeah. advantage in my opinion, right? Yeah, sure it is. Yeah. It yeah. So- goes
0: back again to. Your Venn diagram, you know, yeah. your, your your life Venn diagram, and the and the subject matters that you've studied, right? Yeah. He, he who has the most Venn diagrams in terms of subject matter at the end of the life wins. Yeah. Unless unless of course you're a hedonist like yourself, where you yeah. want you know cars and boats and houses. <laughs> yeah. That's you know.
1: The problem is, I'm just hey. trapped in the as a Thatcher boy. The ages just need my toys, right?
3: <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, you you brought up uh, and we discussed it about, you know, your own kids or the current generation coming up where material things are no longer as important to them as it was to our generation and that life experiences, lifestyles is important, and which is what Harry talked about, lifestyle, you know, in buildings, right?
1: I saw the beginnings of that when I was coming towards the end of my last business. So at CDML, when we hired people, they go through three interviews, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, are you technical? Are you crazy? You're trying to get that all sorted out, right? And then when we got down to the last interview, it was really about, will they fit with the team we think we're going to put them in, right? And one of the things we always used to offer them was, by this time, we, we wanted to make an offer, right? So the offer would include, what laptop do you want or desktop? Do mm. you want a Mac or PC? Do you want an iPhone or an Android? We were subscription on all our software, so everything was completely up to date, right? So our thing was, as employers, we wanted to give them what they wanted because if you think the phones aren't important to them, then you're kidding yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you're taking excuses away as well, right? You're providing them the toys that they want to do their job, so there's no excuse yeah. for not doing your job, right? Right. But it's also, it what we worked out was it became a retention tool because some of the people that joined us after we made these offers, and we always had half-day Fridays and flexible working. And they, a lot of them said it wasn't the money because we were paying market rate, not above, not below. It was the fact that we had up to date IT, choice of IT, um, Friday afternoons off, flexible working. Those are the things that matter.s That was the beginning of the sort of like tailoring your work experience to a more of a millennial mindset. I hate calling them millennials. It sounds like a derogatory term. It's not. Yeah. It's just a yeah, different I mean. mindset, right? It's a different set of expectations. The way I describe it is, I think my children are not willing to put up with a BS that our generation put up with, good or bad as that may be, right? It can be yeah. good because it's affecting change.
0: Yeah. And it's a, and the whole material thing is a dangerous path to go down. I mean, if you become, if you accumulate these assets or liabilities as they have ultimately become, yeah. you know, you buy a big house, you have to paint it right? The plumbing eventually <laughs> is going to fail, so you have to fix it, yeah. right? You you buy a boat, eventually it needs to be weatherized, it needs to be serviced, right? So all these assets become liabilities. Well, if you're wealthy enough that you can provide or you can maintain the value of that asset by subbing the maintenance work out because you have the money to pay for the maintenance work, it's not an issue. But that is such a small percentage of the population. A lot of these kids have seen our generation get tied to these assets that become liabilities yeah. and they don't want to deal with the liability part of it. They don't want to have to worry about fixing up the house. They don't want to, have to be worried about repairing the boat. You know, yeah. they don't want to be worried about doing tune-ups and oil changes and all that kinds of stuff. Like, you know, and so and I
1: you know what? Kudos to them. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, I I always say a house that you live in is not an investment. Here's why. Investments make you money. My house costs me tax every month, it costs me maintenance yeah. every month. I had to change the path recently, that was another $4,000 that went up in smoke. Yeah. Right? So that's not an investment. I have investments in my portfolio account. I don't have to put paths on them or pay tax on them, right? Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. pay me dividends. That's yeah. an investment. So, you know, we've all been hypnotized with this uh, 1980s mindset of buy a house and it'll always go up. In some markets that's true, but that's demographics. As the baby boomers retire, you watch that demographic trend reverse. I believe my kids will grow up in a world where the thought of owning a house that goes up in value will be laughable. Yeah. But, you know, I I am a crazy person.
0: Well, but, you know, there are are examples of that all over the world. If you look at the – You know, what happened to Hawaii, for example. You know, today people, you know, children, you know, today are today's and yesterday's generation can't afford to live in some of the cities It happened in Vancouver. It's happening in parts of Toronto.
1: Yeah, Toronto's out of control. It's crashing at the moment. And that's a good thing, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. You know, Calgary certainly has, over the time that I've been here, Alberta, not Calgary, but Alberta in general, has gone up and down more times than any other city that I know of, simply because we're so tied into the energy sector, right? And, then, of course, a lot of our revenues came from the oil and gas. Well, oil and gas is hurting, so now the province is hurting. And so, yeah, you're, you know, there are there are bubbles, but eventually even those bubbles will get uh, challenged from an economic test. Yeah. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll reach a, a point where people just say "There's enough is enough.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what will happen. So just yeah. to wrap up on Harry, then I am very impressed with WSP, how they've grown. Because what they're doing there, they really are providing the total solution from a consulting point of view, right? Yeah. They're pretty much totally. if you, you know, you wake up and think, oh, I need a fire expert or I need a well being expert, that's there, right? That's a good that's a that's a differentiator. So kudos to them for that. And yeah. I like the fact that Harry is on a sort of like in any other firm he'd be the crazy R and D guy in the corner, right? <laughs> yeah. And in WSP, he's making some money for them and and advancing their thought knowledge. So I like that a lot. That's a great example to follow. So, you know, if you're a young graduate looking for a job, send your resume to WSP, i say. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, man. So I think that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good. It's all good, man. Yeah, we, Adam, we we pick good guests, you uh, know? But you know yeah. what? I am learning so much from these people. You know, yeah. That's the danger of sort of being older and experienced. You sort of get trapped in your own mindset. What I love about yeah. the people we speak to is they really pull me out of that. The learning. I've learned so much interviewing everyone. It's been awesome, man. Long yeah. may it continue. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We,
0: we should take this opportunity again to just remind our listeners to if you've got an idea for a great guest. And, and, what, and what, we're, what we're looking for, I mean, you listen to the podcast, you know who we're talking to. We're talking to the outliers, the guys that are fighting the status quo, the guys that want to make change. We're not interested in talking to people that are going to tell the same story over and over again, or they've ingrained their whole lives into a system that's become the status quo. We want people who don't like what they see and are willing to put their reputation and their careers on the line to change it.
1: Here, hear to that. And by the way, I'd love to get someone with deep knowledge of the IoT status quo at the moment and get them on and really have it, thrash it out with that. Because <laughs> yeah. I on balance, I'm a fan, but I have some concerns as well. So I'd love to get someone on for that. So if anyone out there knows someone who's at the bleeding edge of the IoT and a thought leader and employed and not a crazy person with a tinfoil hat, <laughs> Send them our way. Hit us up on social Absolutely. media. Absolutely, You got it. You got it, man. Okay, man. So great one. I'll see you in the next one. All right, Adam. Always a okay. pleasure, man. Cheers. Yeah,
2: bye. bye. You've been listening to the Edifice Complex podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.
0: Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side, because we're on their side. You found a new tool, software, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software.
1: Robert, I sure have. I think Blue Rhythm is what I've been looking for all these years. Building commissioning can be chaos at the best of times. Most projects I consult really suffer from poor information management. You know, it's 2019, yet the property and construction industry seems to be firmly stuck in the 20th century paperwork world. I think people mistake emails and PDFs and Microsoft files on their servers and all the different PCs as a digital solution. In reality, it's just unorganized chaos. Do you want to streamline your commissioning process and save time and money? Do you want to go paperless and increase efficiency? Blue Rhythm is a cloud-based software solution built specifically for building commissioning professionals. Blue Rhythm digitizes your custom forms and checklists, allows collaboration across project teams, and automates reporting, leaving you to focus on what matters. Their team help you onboard the test sheets you've developed over the years. You can even send it some in paper, and they will digitize that and put it in the Blue Rhythm system for you. In my opinion, Blue Rhythm pays for itself in time saved on paperwork on a single project. For a demo or to start a free trial, go to bluerhythm.com. That's where Rhythm is spelled R-I-T-H-M like algorithm. bluerhythm.com. Tell them the Edifice Complex sent you there.